Hello and welcome to the Good Fundraising Podcast, where we bring together nonprofit thought leaders and change makers to talk about what's good in the world of fundraising and what could be better. I'm your host, Alicia Mullenstein. Thanks so much for joining me today. Share with us how monthly giving transforms not only HSUS's fundraising program, but also its culture. And how the lessons learned along the way in building their monthly giving program are serving them now during COVID. Joanne, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about HSUS's monthly donor journey. I'm really excited for you to share all the hard work that you and your team have done to drive some really fantastic results. So thanks for sharing your time and on your day off, no less. Well, thank you for having me. Tell us about HSUS's monthly donor journey, where you were and where things are today. That sounds like you have, I mean, truly is almost as multi-channel a program as you could possibly get, but it wasn't always that way for HSUS. I mean, the fact that you have 12% of your revenue coming from monthly is, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a fairly recent change, right? Yes, it is. It, and that's 100% born out of the growth in the digital and the face-to-face programs. Because five years ago, face-to-face didn't really exist. It was only about 6% of all of the sustainers' totals, which is a tiny little program. Um, and most of the, the most of our sustainers came in from telemarketing and digital and DRTV, but things have completely shifted, as you know, because we went off the air for DRTV. And so now uh, 66% of our sustainers are coming in from these, from digital and from um, face-to-face. The challenge there is the retention. Retention is really hard with face-to-face. It's really easy with the digital people. They, it's very much a uh, fix it and forget it. We can send, we send them specific uh, sets of communications. We ask them for money a few times and our retention has not fallen off because of that. Face-to-face has also been a pretty solid program there. And between the two of them, we made a commitment to also pay close attention to entry-level of the sustainers. And between those two strategies there, focusing on retention and the average gift, we were able to move the needle from about 6% five years ago to where it is today. That's so significant and clearly had a ton of attention to detail to the KPIs and understanding who those donors were. So, I mean, that's no small feat. And certainly the decision to go off of TV was also no small feat. So were these investments in face-to-face and you know, new attention to digital and inception pledge amounts, were those born from the decision to pull off of TV? Was that, was that one of the drivers to find a new place to bring in new donors? No, it really wasn't. So for TV, we, were, we, we pulled off the air because we had an internal crisis, but we had also been looking to audit the program and revamp it anyway. So that was about two and a half years ago. After that, it was, we had, we knew this was coming. It was not, DRTV had not been a big part of the budget for that year anyway. So we, it was not a revenue calculation. It was sort of, are we, we are, we saw a big improvement to the net because we weren't spending this money on DRTV. Uh, Yeah, exactly. So the face-to-face program itself was sort of uh, strategically built starting in 2015. Hey, let's see how this goes. And then it took off pretty well between our partners and the strategies that we developed behind it. 
So now we weren't uh, looking at this saying, uh, trying to go for this revenue. It just, it, it kind of happened on both the digital and the face-to-face -face fronts. And we took the lessons that we learned there and carried them over to our different channels. And so what lessons did you bring onto those other channels? So we realized that it's okay to ask people for a starting, starting sustainer gift of around $20. That's because we know that on face-to-face, -face, we are getting people doing that. So let's take those lessons and apply them to all of our donation forms testing to see where we can improve the numbers, set minimum sustainer asks and see what that gets us. And with all of those different mini tweaks and tests that we've been doing, we have not seen any significant fall off in the people who are raising their hands to make that sustaining gift. And uh, in the channels where retention is less of a challenge, we are not seeing any drop off in retention because we are asking for more money. Uh, people are going to give what you ask them for, first of all. That was a lesson that we had to become comfortable with as an organization. Mm -hmm. People are going to give what you ask them for, and then they will make that decision to stop or start. And there's so much psychology that goes in behind why people stop giving or why they give what they do. But from my perspective, at the end of the day, uh, people are going to give what they're going to give. And sometimes they forget to call you up to give you their updated information. And I, I, I've learned that that's a big chunk of why retention is a problem for us. Sometimes people forget and then we, they call us up, we call them up and say, and they say, oh, ah, Forgot, sorry, forgot to call you. We've been doing an exercise there since we've been on lockdown for COVID. And that's what one of the lessons, but uh, sort of, I, I digress. Um, no, that's a big one. I mean, it, I think that's like the core tenet of recap is people forget because there's really no penalty yeah. when their charitable monthly gift goes off. It's right. not like the lights are going to get turned off on them. So, you know, we have to be proactive. And, and by and large, I think your experience is true to what others have seen when you call them and remind them. They're shocked and they apologize and they want to come back. They just need that reminder. Yeah, we did an experiment with our face-to-face -face people, sort of keep some of them engaged while we were on lockdown. And just gave them their last. So if you came in via this particular partner, we gave you that pool of names and we divided up into three groups, deep lapsed and canceled, people who raised their hand to cancel forever ago, people who were recently lapsed. And then there was an acknowledgement piece for recent signups. And we found that they were able, the canvassers themselves, we're able to say, hey, you signed up on the street or at the door on this date, and we haven't heard from you since June of last year. And we were pretty amazed at the number of people that we were able to recapture in that way. And now the exercise of tracking them to see if they, they are sticky, as sticky as a, a, as a regular reinstated donor is, that's a, the lesson that we're getting now. And so far, we've not seen anybody fall off. So you guys were one of the organizations who had their canvassers be repurposed into telemarketers to help go back and recap and reach out to donors. 
Yep, correct. We did that. I didn't know what to expect. No one knew what to expect. And sure enough, canvassers were able to do it. And I really think so sort of getting into the tactics part of things. Canvassing is hard. I have shadowed canvassers in the field and I freeze. I also started out in this business learning telemarketing, learning, learning things from the telemarketing end. And I would listen in on the phone calls and I just, it's not my thing. So it's already a hard job that they're doing. And I think that just sort of training them to do that over the phone was the next evolutionary step. And I was really both amazed and proud of how well they did it because again, people have no qualms about seeing terrible things over the phone when that they would not say to your face. Oh, terrible. Political fundraising and telemarketing is a whole other. uh, Oh, that's true. That is absolutely true. (laughs) I've heard some things and you know, so they, they did a really good job of it. So our plan moving forward as a refinement to the face to face program is to have this sort of thing continue. We, are going to take test pools out of our telemarketing program and give them to the canvassers so that during downtimes or as a training exercise, they can start doing the last reactivation or acknowledgement phone calls about a month into the relationship. Oh, wow. What a cool outcome to all of this. It's like a nice silver yeah. lining for the, for the canvassers and, you know, frankly, for building those donor relationships. Absolutely. People love, I, I used to, I've done acknowledgement phone calls in the past. Not me personally, see previous note about. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 once upon a time, way back when I, in my first job, I was at Emily's list and running this telemarketing program. And we decided to save money on, on acknowledgements, to just call everybody uh, who gave $35 and less for a fixed hourly rate. And the first time I listened in on those phone calls, people were shocked. We're just calling to thank you, Miss Wilson. It's true. What? What? You're asking me for money? No, we're just calling to say thank you. We received your gift last week and we really appreciate it. And that, that's it. And people were surprised. And I would bet that if we went back and looked at the retention on those people, it would be at least paying just for it. Joanne, when you think back to making that um, that investment and that shift and the onboarding of canvassing program, and you know, we'll, we'll say canvassing in this example, but it could be true for for any new channel coming on. I mean, thinking back to that moment, were there lessons learned, internal resistance, ways of having to change business operations, working with your teams that you know, when looking back on, you would you would share with others who are now looking at diversifying their own channels, whether because of need. You know, they're, they've lost all their peer-to-peer events, um, or it's just time for them to make those investments. Wow. The first thing that I would say every time, this is the biggest lesson I learned, you have to have the fortitude some of these fundraising exercises. Canvassing in particular is incredibly expensive, and you have to sort of wait for that return on investment come along. We, when I first started here, we had had a lot of people who had been here for a very long time and it, they, you know, were resistant to 
spending more money on an unproven method of fundraising, which is why it took a, a, it took a minute, a couple of years for the program to ramp up. We also have to convince our board that this is a viable way of doing things. And because not too many people do face-to-face -face as a fundraising method or even DRTV, a lot of uh, other organizations are not terribly diverse there. When they look at the cost to acquire a sustainer in these more expensive channels, it's a huge sticker shock. And what we have sort of had to do is encourage people to say, okay, this is where we are. This is what we're projecting our retention to be. And this is how many months we're going to be looking at to recoup our investment. And that's still, it took this organization about three and a half years before they really sort of said, oh, this is working. And that's because we, again, focused on making sure that those donors were not just sticky, but had an average gift that was high enough that meant that we were gonna long-term recoup that investment faster. We also had a focus on payment types to make sure that the payment types, EFT and American Express were prioritized over credit cards. We took no one-time gifts and we absolutely did not take any checks. So looking at those things and sort of providing regular reporting to encourage the board and encourage the senior leadership by the third year of the face-to-face -face program, we were looking at two 5% of gross annual revenue coming in from that program. And that's when people started to say, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> that's when they pay attention. <laughs> yes, when the money started coming in, oh, this is, oh, cool. And so it's, it's given us, the, it's given me the permission to sort of take risks with other fundraising channels. And um, what's coming up for us soon in terms of risk is that we're going to try direct response radio and we are partnering with a new consultant to attempt streaming video. So stay tuned for that. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait for this to, to see fruition. And we're, we're able to do this because when we go out into the field, whether it's to do a rescue after a disaster or a or a rescue animals from a hoarding situation or anything else like that, we send a video team out and we get some really great footage and pictures. So we have the strength of all of these assets, which we are now going to be taking and using to build these streaming video bots and see what comes of it. I know that everybody now is not just, we, we all, all probably have some sort of regular TV watching schedule on those streaming platforms, especially the ones that have commercials with them. And <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I can't wait to see what shakes out from this. It's such a good time because everyone is, you know, eyeballs on media at home, you know, like you said, looking for those distractions and that's become, you know, a huge source of entertainment. So it, your timing is, is really perfect with that. And I think you actually answered the other question I was going to ask, which is, you know, it sounds like the organization really has 
taken the lessons from canvassing and the process of going on through through canvassing and now, as you said, has allowed you to take more risks. So it has actually changed some of the behaviors of the organization having gone through that exercise and seeing it be successful. Yes. And we have, I think that at its heart, canvassing has taught us so many things. At the beginning of 2018, that was the beginning of year, the, it was sort of the end of the third year of the programs. We started mid-year of 2018. We had sort of diversified our markets so that we could move to warmer weather markets when, when it was winter. And then, my goodness, it snowed in Southern Virginia. It ice-stormed in North Carolina and Georgia and Northern Florida, soft snow as well. And meanwhile, in the Northeast, we barely saw any snow and it was mild climate. And so the program kind of hit a huge wall back then. And what that taught us, the value of diversification right there. So for us now in the pandemic, fast forward a couple more years, we've learned that we have to be flexible in our fundraising. So as an organization, when you cannot do a lot of your major philanthropic face-to-face dinners, or you cannot, certainly can't do any major events, you're limited in the number of online concerts and such that you can do, your face-to-face program had to stop very abruptly, how do you diversify? And so these are the lessons that we're learning in terms of, well, we've got this pool of money that we were going to spend here. Are we locked into using that money for face-to-face or can we tweak it and repurpose it elsewhere? So for us, we have been learning a lot of these lessons on how to diversify, how to pivot and how to pivot quickly, and then taking it to the next level so that we are not stuck with a financial portfolio that is in danger as a nonprofit because we're not able to fundraise off of our regular fundraising channels. So I'm pretty glad that we were able to learn all of these lessons on different programs that were that are a, a huge challenge for a lot of other nonprofits. It's, it's a little moment of pride that I have that we're able to say, yes, let's try this. And we're really good at having uh, being able to absorb the risk of trying. And it's we've also learned an important lesson that it's okay to fail. Um, when you try something new, the radio program, we don't know how that's going to go. So if it fails, what do we do next? All right, we tried it. Let's go on to the next one. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's a huge financial risk. But it, there are a lot of things that we can do for very small investments, that, which is why I highlight radio, because that's one of them. You don't have to make a huge investment. Well, I mean, really, it's so heartening to hear that monthly giving has been And these channels, this diversification of channels has been transformational for the organization beyond the bottom line, but really that it's changed so much of the way people were thinking. And surely some of that's informed by COVID as well, to your point of people having to be flexible because some things are simply taken off the table. But if you hadn't gone through that exercise, this would probably be a much more painful process right now. But you guys learned that and you adapted and you found new ways of thinking that came from adopting these new types of programs. So I think that's a really great hidden lesson that maybe before this whole thing happened wouldn't have been as visible to the organization. No, it would not. And I think that if we had not 
absorbed that attitude of being willing to test new things that we would not have been here either. When I first started uh, in 2015 at HSUS, we had an actual very small budget, but it was there where if you wanted to test something new, you could apply for the funds, make a case for the testing, and then you'd be granted a certain pool of cash to do some testing. And that is really invaluable because it allowed us to do some SMS testing that we would not have been able to do. We learned some lessons there as well. I know that a lot of nonprofits are not always going to be able to find those financial backing to do that kind of testing. But every so often, we have a major donor who believes in the work that we do and will step forward and offer a gift, whether it's for a matching gift or a challenge or what have you, or to test something or to fund a series of DRTV spots when we were back on the air. So we have the commitment, not just from our donors and, and, and their financial commitment in the sustainer program, but also from our major donors who really believe in the work that we're doing and who we're able to go to and sometimes say, hey, we'd like to test this new fundraising channel and it has the long the long term potential to be really great for us. Will you help us? And some people step up and say yes. I think that's great. I mean, that's the basic fundraising tenet of don't ask, don't get. And I think it's it's so important to keep asking for those pools of money to be able to test new channels. It's it's future proofing, you know, like you've maybe seen now and like you maybe you'll see with those radio programs or the streaming videos. It, it's giving you a bit of a a window into what could be next and let you look around the corner for other ways to fundraise when you know something might not be working and you really don't need the world's biggest bank account to be able to do it these are small margins that can make a big difference um, and i think even if that bucket's not there just having the ask out there if something does fall through or a donor comes through uh, it's on people's minds so those testing budgets are phenomenal and I, I think it speaks to the the culture that you've helped build at that organization too that there's a willingness to to put money there and to try new things now yeah well i'm not a, I, i'm not ever afraid to try new things <laughs> um, very good not afraid to speak up and ask and 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 try new things it's sort of the the immigrant part of of me that does that um but yeah i it's been interesting seeing the whole company sort of evolve in its thinking about fundraising and sort of bringing in the other departments so we have very close relationships with our communications departments because they're crafting that message that we're using to raise the money. I love working with our video team because they get such amazing assets when they are out in the field um, to help us do what we're doing and tell those really strong stories. Uh, And we also, um, from the face-to-face program, we have no choice but to work very closely with our partners who are running the programs that we do in the individual states. And talking to our state, our, our state directors, as we call them, they have developed really close relationships with our canvassing partners. 
to the point where I, last December, I went up to New York City to visit um, our, our teams and our state director had a better relationship with them than I did. And it's sort of building this collegial relationship amongst all of the different departments and building those bridges so that everyone understands what their role is in fundraising and what our how our fundraising helps to elevate everyone. So I'm always so happy that my colleagues who don't do fundraising are sit, willing to sit and listen and more importantly, lend their knowledge and their ideas to what we're doing, whether it's online or on the phones or out in the field for the canvassing, because it all is part of that intricate web that makes us get to the goals that we are trying to accomplish. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the definition of a fundraising culture, right? Is that everyone is invested and sees it as part of the mission and not as something that's over there, but sees how their work feeds into it and vice versa. Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, listen, thank you. I'm going to take us off the record in a sec, but thank you so much for your time. It was, this was, I think, a really rich conversation and goes well beyond just how you invest and grow a monthly program, but really to how transformational it can be for an organization. So I'm really excited to see what you guys do next. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks again to Joanne Wilson from HSUS for joining me today and for sharing her experience with monthly giving and how it really transformed HSUS's fundraising culture. I think there's lessons in there for all of us. If you like what you heard today, please feel free to share with a friend or a colleague, leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform, and be sure to subscribe. If you have an idea for a topic, please send me an email at hello at goodfundraising.net. Thanks again for joining me today. Until next time, remember to be nice and do good out there.